Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Abram traded his home in Ur to become the father of a nation. Ruth traded her homeland to become the great-grandmother to a king. Moses and David traded their sheep to become leaders of Israel. Peter and Andrew traded their nets to become fishers of men. Mary traded her housework to sit at the feet of Christ. Saul traded his prestige to become Paul, a leader of the church. St. Augustine traded a life of debauchery to author over 100 works promoting the gospel of Christ. Albert Schweitzer traded a successful career to train as a doctor and establish a hospital in Africa. Rachel Saint traded her grief to dwell among the natives who had killed her brother. Corey Tim Boom traded anger and resentment to forgive a brutal Nazi guard who put his faith in Christ. John and Betty Stamm traded their lives to testify of Christ in communist China. Cameron traded the money he spent on Starbucks for 40 days to raise money for water wells in Uganda. Dale traded extra hours of work climbing the corporate ladder to mentor fatherless boys in his neighborhood through basketball. Sarah traded her teaching career in Dallas to teach Muslim children in Morocco. Heather traded comfort and routine to be a foster parent to children in need. They put their faith in action, being intentional with their time, money, and passions so that they could bring the love of Christ to the world. What are you willing to trade? Isaiah 6, it um, reads something, something like this. In the year that King Uzziah died, in a year of a lot of mourning and sadness, a year of chaos, political unrest, a lot of uncertainty, in a year of anxiety and fear, I saw not the chaos that was around me or in front of me, but the Lord. And he was high and lifted up, seated very firmly and unflinchingly on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the entirety of the temple. And above him flew the seraphim, the highest order of the angels. Their name literally means the burning ones. And they were flying around him with six wings. With two of them, they were flying. With two, they were covering their face. And with two, they covered their feet. Because even the burning ones, the highest order of the angelic beings, were unworthy to be in the presence of the king on the throne. Even the burning ones had to cover their faces in comparison to his majesty. And they were calling to one another saying, holy, 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 set apart, unique, unmatched, unparalleled, undefeated is the Lord of hosts, the commander of the angel armies. For the whole earth from the rainforests to the beaches, to the mountains, to the deserts, to the oceans, white with foam, are filled to the brim with his glory. And, and they weren't just kind of saying this to each other haphazardly. They were saying it with so much magnitude, so much veracity, that as they were doing so, it was causing the foundations of the thresholds to shake. The walls were shaking at the magnitude of their voice. 
And, and as the walls are shaking, all of a sudden smoke infiltrates the entirety of the temple. And I'm standing there with the burning ones flying around calling to one another, with the foundations of the threshold shaking and smoke filling the room and is filling my lungs as I take in that fragrance. And all that I can think is, whoa, woe is me. For I am ruined. I am undone. I am lost. I am clearly lost. I do not belong here. I don't even belong I don't deserve or belong to be anywhere near here because you see, I'm a man of unclean lips, to say the very least. And I come from a people of unclean lips. And yet my eyes have seen God. And then uh, one of the seraphim took what I can only describe of as tongs. And, and with the tongs, he took a, took a burning coal from the altar, the altar for sacrifices, and took that coal comes to me and places it upon my lips and says, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has been taken away and your sin has been atoned for. And even though this was like the most pinnacle, intricate, important moment of my entire life, it was almost hard to focus on it because the king began to speak. The king on the throne started to speak and he says, who shall I send? Who will go for us? And all that I could do in that moment with my freshly cleaned lips was to raise my hand and say, here am I. Send me. I, send me wherever you want, whenever you want, to whomever you want, to do whatever you want. In fact, I don't even know if you're talking to me. I don't know if you're asking me or if you're just kind of throwing this out in the ether. But regardless, my hand is up. Pick me. I'm in. I don't even know what the question is, but, but the answer is Yes. But the answer is yes. Now, now what's the question? I, I, I'm in. And the king looked at me and said, go deliver this message to my people. I love Isaiah 6. If you didn't know that. It's powerful. It's good. I've managed to kind of weave it secretly into just like 80% of the messages that I've ever preached here, I think. Um, but I'm, I'm convinced that even if I were to spend the rest of my days, every single day, studying that one passage, I just don't think that I'll, I would ever get to the point to where I can fully appreciate or fully realize just the magnitude of it. You know what I mean? It's one of those passages in scripture that I like, I see how big it is. I see just like the, the bigness and the majesty and the power of God as he's displayed high and lifted up on that throne. And no matter how many times I read it, and I could read it in Greek, I could read it in Hebrew, I could read it in, in Chinese, and I, I could do whatever it takes. And I just don't know that my human brain and emotions can ever fully grasp like just how big God is. And more importantly, maybe, I, I think I will, I'll never be able to fully grasp the great chasm and divide that separates the bigness of God in comparison to what Isaiah must have been feeling, right? I mean, you talk about insignificant speck. The burning ones are covering their faces. What's Isaiah thinking? He must have felt so small, so little, so inadequate. And I just don't know that I'll ever fully grasp that, um, but I do think that it's healthy for us to at least attempt at times to step into that perspective of Isaiah, to tr at, least try, at least try to imagine what that must be like, because the reality is that the king is still sitting on the throne. 
And the, and the seraphim are still flying around. And when we go to him, that's who we're going to. Like, this is real. Like, this is a real guy sitting on a real throne. Very in control. No flinch. That's who we're talking to when we approach the king. And I think that if we can go at least try to, to step into that perspective, it will inform the way we, we read the rest of scripture. And maybe most importantly, it's going to bring a brand new light and appreciation to the relationship that that king invites us to have with himself. Right? So um, my original assignment today was to speak on faith, uh, living a life of faith. I came up with some cool stuff, a sweet message title. Um, if you're someone who follows along with our social media stuff or, or reads our emails, extra, you know, crowns in heaven for my email readers for sure. Um, but if you are, are the one person who reads the emails, you may have seen um, and expected a message on, on faith and, and all this stuff. I had this message that I, I had called um, while you were sleeping, and, and it, was, it, was, it, was, it was pretty good. <laughs> um, but as I was working through it this week um, and feeling simultaneously really good about some of the things that were falling together and also maybe a little bit off about it, um, I just came to a place this morning where I thought, man, like, I just want to stop and listen to God. It's not a spiritual discipline I'm very good at, but something I'm, I'm working on. And when I did, um, I don't know, I just got the feeling that, that it wasn't the right thing to focus on. I've got a kill, so it's a killer message. Um, it includes bow and arrows. I was going to shoot Kyle with a bow and arrow. It was going to be really funny. Um, and then I was going to have to pay the medical bills. It was going to be great. Um, and so, but I'm going to put that in, in the back pocket. And probably <laughs> wait till Joel's here and choose him instead. <laughs> yeah. um, and instead, I just felt the spirit saying, hey, Nathan, I just want you to focus on what's most important for today. So maybe a great message, just not what we need for today. Um, and so what I'm going to do instead is I'm just going to take a small piece of that, and I'm just going to hone in and sink into to it. So it's going to be a little bit of a different type of vibe today. For those of you who've been around for a while, and, and you see me kind of come up on stage with my, with my Justin Timberlake mic. Um, it's going to be a little bit of a different vibe, but I think that's okay, and I think that's cool. And, um, and my, my ultimate goal and job is to just be obedient in, in speaking for God. Speaking God, not speaking for him. I don't know what I'm saying. Uh, my, my job is to be obedient to the Spirit, and that's what I think he wants to share with us today. And I say that not in like a self-deprecating way or, or like a setup for anything. I say it because I want you to know that whatever it is that I start talking on for the next little bit, I want you to know that like, it, to, at least to me, I feel like it, it's, it's the words we need to hear. I feel like this is, really matters. Like this is important. Um, and and I, I hope that you'll meet me with that. Um, I'm going to do my best to preach the junk out of this. <laughs> I'm going to, to, to preach every bit of junk out of every bit that I can. And I encourage you to, to put in the same effort in what you're receiving. Because the truths that I want to share with you are not new and they're not groundbreaking. I've got no cool illustrations. I have no funny jokes. I have no um, awesome points that you've never heard before. But I think it's the most important thing. And I think, most importantly, that it's what God wants us to hear today. So um, that's kind of my plea, my, my sidebar plea um, to meet me there. And we'll see how that goes. So open your Bibles to, to Genesis 15. 
Um, Genesis chapter 15 is where we're going to be um, focused on and settled on. And we're just going to look at uh, a sometimes maybe overlooked part of the life of, of Abraham at the time, Abram. Um, so uh, Abraham, um, and, and at this, this is before his name change. He's originally named Abram. Um, God changes his name later, which we're not going to get into. Um, he's known as the father of faith. Not a bad title, right? The father of faith, the top dog when it comes to faith. I, I came across something this week that said that he was, he's called in some, in some parts of the world, faith's exemplar. And I have no idea what that means, but I didn't even feel like I needed to take the time to Google it because it just sounds epic enough that I think that's the point. He is faith's exemplar. Dun, 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 dun. Like that's a big deal. So, the, so Abraham, who we're talking about, he is a big deal when it comes to faith. He's a big deal when it comes to pretty much the whole narrative of the Old Testament, and, and you can make an argument, New Testament as well. He's a big deal. But maybe his, the best thing that he's referred to as is a friend of God. God calls him friend. And, and that may sound maybe not quite as exciting and epic as being faith's exemplar, unless you look at it through the lens of Isaiah 6, right? And you're like, oh, that king that's on the throne calls him friend? That's pretty dope, is what a youth pastor might say. And a very mature elder would say, that is a very high honor and a very worthy pursuit and also super dope. Like, like God calls him friend. That's pretty cool. I don't know about you. That'd be neat if God called me friend too. I, w- I would like that to be true. How can I do that? Well, I guess follow some examples that Abraham lays before us. So let's look at uh, chapter 15. And I'm going to start in verse 7. I'm skipping a whole lot of stuff, and I, I know I am. There's holes all over this thing, but I think it's okay. In, in verse 7 of chapter 15, it says, He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. Paul's, um, we know Abram at the time was given promises by God. He was promised that his descendants would become a great nation, that they would number the same as the stars in the sky. But he had no kids, which is awkward. So um, that would insinuate that he was going to have a son. So he was promised a son, and through that son, a great nation. And he was also promised land for this great great nation to, to live on, the promised land, if you will land that was promised. And when we pick up this story right here in chapter 15, we're about 10 years into his calling. He's been following God in faithful obedience for about 10 years now. He still has no son. He still has no land and no hope to be a great nation. 10 years. In Bible times, maybe we don't fully appreciate it, but in human terms, 10 years is a long time to wait for something that God promised us. God said, hey, follow me, and, I'll, and I have this promise for you, and we follow him. Ten years later, the promise still has not been fulfilled. In fact, we know that there, was, there were seasons in that ten years where God's completely silent, like, like Abram's is not hearing from God at all. 
that's, that's tough, man. So what we have here is God is coming back to Abram and he's kind of reinstilling his promises. He's reinforcing them. He's like, hey, I, I did promise you this and I mean what I say. I really am the Lord and I really am gonna give you this land to take possession of. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Not really a father of faith moment, right? Father of faith, you're not supposed to question God. You have faith, right? No, well, he does. He questions in, in a way. He's got some doubts. I would too. It's been 10 years, God. You haven't really done much of anything, right? You haven't done any of these big promises you told me you were gonna do. In fact, you've been really quiet for most of it and haven't been returning my calls. And now you say you're gonna do it, but I have no proof. So how do I know that this is really going to happen? And God's response is not, how dare you? It's not, forget you, I'll find someone with better faith, the grandfather of faith. No, and, and, and it's not because I said so, all of which, by the way, are perfectly reasonable responses from the king on the throne. No, his response is, bring me a heifer <laughs> and a goat and a ram, all three years old, and then bring me some birds. Uh, is it a dove and a pigeon, something like that. Um, that's a weird thing to say to us. It's a weird response from God. Um, prove yourself, all right? Bring me a heifer and a goat and a ram and some birds. Not weird for Abram, because he knows exactly what that means and he jumps right into action. Check out this next verse. And if you thought it was weird that that's what he would ask, check out what he meant by it. It says, Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. <laughs> okay, weird. And if you're reading that and you're like, I have no idea what's happening, that's because you live in America in 2023 and you're not an ancient person. Because you see, at this time, this is actually a big deal. This is what we call a blood covenant. This is part of the culture. This is something that they would do. You want to know how hardcore these dudes are? This is how they would prove a deal. This is how they would shake on it. This is how they would sign the dotted line and prove that they mean what they say. If you're going to sell me a plot of land, this is what we would do to, for you to prove that you're going to sell it to me or prove that you're going to pay me for it. You want to get married? This is what you would do to prove that you're going to be faithful and, and uphold the vows and commitments that you're making is you take these animals and you cut them in half and you put half of them over there and half over there. Whereas what it, and what that creates in the middle, as you can imagine, is a whole lot of fresh, smelly blood, a blood covenant. And then you and the person you're making the deal with would walk down that pathway to symbolize how serious you are about the deal that you're making. Because what you're saying is that if you don't uphold your end of the deal, get this, may the same be done to me as was done to them. If I don't follow through, may I be torn in half and may my blood be scattered upon the earth. Like that's hardcore, man. That would be a weird wedding to go to. Like we walk down paths of flowers. Um, these dudes walk down paths of blood. Um, try that on for size, fiancés out there. Um, that's hardcore. These are not the dudes that, you know, order mocha frappes and stuff. Like, these are hardcore dudes who are like, let's rip stuff in half and let's walk down the blood because if I don't fulfill my promise, may I be torn in half. It's like, whoa, bro. 
don't be so, yeah, be so serious about this. That's what they did. So when God said, when Abram says, prove it, God, how do I know that you're actually going to be serious about this? God says, bring me a heifer. Let's make a blood covenant. Let's, let's walk down the path. That's huge. That's huge because this is not a guy doing it. This is God. This is an almighty, eternal, immortal God who's saying, hey, let's make a deal where, wherein if I break my promise, as Tim Keller kind of phrased it, I'll be, uh, the immortal will become mortal and die. <laughs> like God, like what Abram must wonder if part of Abram's like, okay, God, uh, like, <laughs> thanks for the... Um, Thanks for the proof, but you didn't have to be so serious about it. I mean, to become mortal, for God to become mortal and die, that like, okay, I see you're serious, point proven. We're good, right? That's hardcore. That's what God says he wants to do. So Abram does it. He lays out all this stuff. He's got the blood. He's got the animals. And now he's chilling. He's like, all right, God, we're good. Let's roll. And God don't show up. God's not there. So talk about some awkward moments, just hanging out with your bloody corpses. It's in the wilderness, guys passing by, you're like, hey, he said he's on his way, you know, just kind of waiting. The, the, the vultures, the birds of prey come down to try and eat the carcasses, and so Abram's having to like shoo them away. And I wonder if part of this moment is, is anxiety provoking for Abram. Remember, 10 years ago, he told me he was going to do stuff, hasn't done it yet. In fact, he's been pretty silent for most of it. And now he told me to do this blood covenant and, he's, and, and where is he? He's not here. And he waits all day for God to show up and God just doesn't show up because God's timing is better than our timing. His ways are higher than our ways. And it would be, it'd make a lot of sense for him to spread that stuff out, God to do his thing so that they can move on with their lives. But God waits. And specifically, he forces Abram to wait and forces Abram to fight his doubts. I, I would imagine in, that as he's waiting all day, chasing off the vultures, he's fighting some doubts. Maybe God's not actually going to come through. Maybe he's, he's, maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he's, he's not going to do this. And he has to fight that. And God, in his goodness, allows Abram the chance to fight through that so that his faith can be realized and strengthened and that he can grow through it. Now, I know it takes all day because verse 12 says, as the sun was setting, like day is over, get this, Abram fell into a deep sleep. <clears throat> Indication here is that God kind of divinely puts him into to a very deep form of sleep. And a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And then God is going to re- restate his promises. In fact, he's going to be really specific about it. He's going to kind of essentially uh, lay out the future of the Israelites. I mean, to a year, to a generation for the next 400 years. And he's, he's saying, hey, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. This is my covenant to you. This is my promise to you. Um, and then we get to verse 17, if you jump down to it. And this is where things get really good. This is where I hope, you, I, I, hope you, I hope you stick with me on this. Please, this is good. It says, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared 
and passed between the pieces. What the heck does that mean? Let me, let me help you kind of work through this. The smoking pot, a smoking fire pot, and the blazing torch. This is the same indication that we get when God's presence descends on Mount Sinai and he gives Moses the Ten Commandments. This is the same indication that we get when God leads the people out of Egypt, right, through fire and through smoke. The, this, the Old Testament manifestation of the king on the throne is smoke and fire. So what's happening here? He puts Abram to sleep, and then, he, and then God walks the blood path. He takes upon himself the blood covenant. This is, this is crazy. There's, there's not, gods don't do this. You will not find other gods that do things like this, where they say, I'm going to put my immortality on the line here. This is how serious I am about these promises, Abram. I'm so serious that I, an everlasting being, will give it all up and die if I don't do it. That's nuts that he would do that. But that's not the craziest part of the story. The craziest part of the story that's just mind-blowing. And this is like, this is really, truly like what I think, what I felt like God wanted us to hear. Craziest part of the story is that Abram doesn't walk the path. He walks, God walks through the path, he makes his statement, and the case is closed. No Abram needed. He doesn't wake Abram up and say, okay, let's do it. Make your promise, I'll make my promise, we'll move on. He doesn't do that. He doesn't wake up Abram. Abram stays asleep. In verse 18, it says, On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land. The end. What does that mean? Why do I say that's mind-blowing? Because God knew that Abram was never going to be able to fulfill his end of this deal. God's saying, I'm going to give you all these promises. I'm going to fulfill them. Abram's part of this is to be perfectly faithful. And he just proved he's not going to, he can't do that. And God knows it. If Abram would have walked that path that day, he was signing his own death certificate. He was not going to make it. He was inevitably going to mess it up. He was going to have, he was going to fail. And he was going to, by, by, by the covenant, be forced to be ripped in half and his blood would have to be spilled. There was no chance. So what God does is he said, you can't do this. So let me walk for me and let me walk for you too. So that if I don't fulfill my part, may I die. And if you don't fulfill your part, may I die. May immortality become mortality. And may I give it all up because I know you can't do it. Sound like the gospel to you? That's crazy to me. That's crazy to me. He's like, this is how serious I am is I'm going to take my immortality. I'm not just going to put it on the line. I'm going to give it up because I know what, how this ends. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you to sleep. And while you're sleeping, while you're in your slumber, I'll take it. And 2,000 something years later, right, immortality becomes mortality and walks among us. And while his disciples are sleeping, because they can't handle it, he's arrested. And Jesus, on the cross, God incarnate, 
has his blood spilled on, across the earth. The blood covenant that he paid, not because he was unfaithful, but because he knew that not only was Abraham, the father of faith, going to be unfaithful, but so too were all of us. And he knew that the price had to be paid and he chose to do it for us. And here's the, rem- here's the major ramification. Is that today, the Lord is high and lifted up and he's seated on a throne. And the train of his robe still feels the entirety of the temple because not even death could touch him, right? He's still there, and that's why the burning ones are covering their faces and their eyes because this dude on the throne, death doesn't even touch him. He is unflinching. He is unmatched. He is unparalleled. There, there, is, there is no flinch in him. He is not concerned by anything because he knows everything. He is perfectly good and perfectly powerful and perfectly on the throne. And no matter what's going on around us in our world, no matter what chaos we may feel or experience, God is sitting on that throne because death can't touch him. And they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And and as they're doing that, the foundations are still shaking. And the smoke is still in the room. And when me and you step into that space and we say, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, to say the least, God looks at us with a really funny look and says, what are you talking about? Like, what are you talking about, unclean lips? And we're like, what are you talking about, unclean lips? Are you kidding me? Have you seen me? I can't even even finish a prayer without falling asleep. I've got a Bible app on my phone that I haven't touched in months. I can't spend a day with my kids without getting angry at them. You have unclean lips. Like, do you know me at all? I, I, like, I'm the definition of unclean. Like, you want to use somebody, pick somebody better than me. Pick somebody more spiritual than me. Like Moses, he's over there. Go get, pick him. David, King David, go pick him. Abraham, pick him. And they're over here saying, what are you talking about us for? King David's like, they call me the, God, the man after God's own heart. And yet I, I, I slept with that woman and then killed her husband. God after my, like, unclean lips. Are you kidding me? Noah's like, what are you talking about, pick me? I'm a drunkard. People read about me having na- being like naked in my drunkenness for all of time. Man of unclean lips. What are you talking don't, don't look at me. I'm not clean, Right? Abraham, you're the, you're the father of faith. You're faith's exemplar. He's like, what are you talking about? I, I lost my faith, and I didn't think he was actually going to do it. And so I, I took, it, took things into my, into my own hands, and I, and I had a child with Hagar. And to this day, people are still killing each other in hatred in the Middle East because of it. Don't pick me. We're like, we're, we're so confused. And then Jesus steps out as we're in the middle of our like brokenness. And Jesus... With nails in his hands, he comes up to us, man, and he gives us a hug. And there's a tear in his eye as the spirit mourns and grieves with us. He says, he says it's all good. God doesn't see your unclean lips because I, I took them, right? I did it. You're good. Like, why, God? Why, why would you waste your blood, your immortality on me? 
And the coolest thing that Jesus says to us is, is it, it, we didn't have to. When God that day chose to come to Abraham and walk down that path without him, he didn't have to. No one was forcing him to do that. That's what he wanted to do. He chose that. Jesus says to us like, hey, it's all good. Like, like get that guilt out of here. I did exactly what I wanted to do. I know you can't finish your prayer without falling asleep. And, and I want you to work on that because it's going to be good for you. But I love just those first few words that you're able to get in there. And that's worth it for me. My immortality is worth it for those couple of words and then you, before you fall asleep. Like that relationship with you is worth it to me. Like what, what kind of God, what kind of God gives up immortality? What kind of God puts the pain and torture of the entire world upon his only son just so that he can have relationships with us, the people that are destined to mess up and fail and screw things up. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we step into relationship with. That's the, every time that we pray, that's the one we're talking to. We're in the throne room talking to him and he's looking right at us because he took it. So the nails are on his hands, not mine. How can we not serve a God like that? Like, if you really grasp that, if you try to step into that just a little bit, how can you, how can you not just commit the entirety of your life to serving him? How can you not just say, the answer is yes. Now, what's the question? It, it doesn't matter. Like, nothing matters other than, other than you. Whatever I can do, count me in. Like, how could we not? The overwhelming never-ending, seemingly reckless love of God. A love that chases me down and fights till I'm found and chooses to leave the 99, even though I couldn't earn it and I certainly don't deserve it. Still, he gives himself away of the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless Love of God. Or maybe better yet, a song that you might hear my two-year-old singing at night before we go to bed in the most beautiful, sweet, childlike voice when he sings, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible, God's word, and his actions tell me so. Little ones like us to him belong. And even though we're weak and messed up and destined for failure, he's so strong. Like, I, I just want you to receive that today. Like, yes, live lives of faith. Yes, do amazing things. Yes, preach the gospel. Love the poor. Love the rich. Love everybody. Like, do all the things. Yes, of course. All good. But at the end of the day, like, you're loved by God. Receive that, right? Accept that. Be okay with that. Preach that over your life. You're loved by God. 
Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.